My name is Scott Cartwright, and this is Tempor Footnotes. I'm Janeline Baitsamare Cartwright. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome, everyone. On this episode, I want to welcome Juliana Ferrero. Juliana is an independent arts professional. She is currently working as a consulting curator of contemporary art for the city of Pompano Beach, Florida, where she coordinates art exhibitions for Bailey Contemporary Arts, Historic Ali Cultural Arts, and the Pompano Beach Cultural Center. Juliana has served on multiple cultural grant funding panels, providing feedback to hundreds of artists and arts organizations alike. We were supposed to have an exhibition of photographic work back in April at Bailey Contemporary Arts, but it was postponed due to COVID. In this episode, Juliana and I were able to talk about the numerous problems the arts are facing in the wake of the COVID outbreak and the solutions that are being proposed to combat COVID. I'd like to welcome Juliana Ferreira. Hi, Juliana. How's it going? Hi, Scott. Doing good. How are you? How are you holding up in the Miami area? It's uh, it's been interesting. I mean, I I have worked from home for almost two years, so pretty much I gained two little coworkers. My two kids, ages three and five, now they're with me all the time. So I added homeschooling to the business, as pretty much everybody else in in the world. Uh, so it's a uh, it's um. It's a mix of rearranging schedules from what I had before, and uh, but we're doing fine, and everybody around our family is is healthy. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Um, how is how is Miami doing in general right now? You know, it's interesting because every night we watch the news. We start with local news, and then we watch PBS news, and then we go to international news. So because we don't go out. I don't know exactly what the situation outside is. My husband, he works in the medical field, so he does go outside and he tells me slower, there's more people going out uh, in the streets. Um, the art scene is pretty quiet. As far as I know, all galleries and museums are still closed. Um, we know that in Florida, everything but uh, South Florida, which is Miami and West Palm Beach is closed. Um, so we're trying to, as, our, as I work with organizations, see what their plans will be to reopen and what will that entail. Is that going smoothly right now or is it still kind of a wait and see after this is over before you can kind of assess the timing on programming and stuff? It's been a mix. I mean, part of the first things that we did and I mean, we saw a lot of organizations doing, we switch heavily to a more of an online and social presence. So right now we have like weekly interviews with artists that have been or will be in an exhibition coming up immediately as soon as I think March 13, all galleries and all events closed. Um, so it's going smoothly, but in a, in a way we know that the galleries may open any moment. So... Part of what I do, I'm a, a consulting curator for the city of Pompano Beach for three uh, different galleries, but all of them are managed by the city. So what I proposed and they are accepted was an extension of the exhibitions from two months to three months. Mm -hmm. 
And so that way we will allow people to come through social distancing. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of the proactive thing that we're doing and do virtual tours and virtual talks um, while the gallery is open. So we don't know. I mean, they may open next week. They may open in the next couple of weeks. So it's a mix of waiting and see, but doing our part to continue with the programming. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, in terms of the, in terms of the kind of the, the shift in, I don't know, I don't know the way that people come to the exhibition space. Um, are there any kind of ground changing or I guess sea changing kind of events that are being foreseen in terms of like allowing people in and that sort of thing? Yeah, actually, I, about an hour ago, I got an email. I mean, this is really happening as we speak that the city is considering um, having the opening receptions. Obviously, these may change any, any time, but right now the latest I heard is that they want to do like time tickets. So having people, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think they even thought about the logistics, but they're thinking of, um, yeah, having time ticket. But the thing is that some of the artists have already said that they don't want to be in the openings reception. So it's, it changes by the minute. So the kind of the idea that there isn't artist receptions or ga gathering or physical gathering points for openings and closings and that sort of thing? Well, the galleries, once they open, they will be open. And uh, yeah. actually, there was an article from the uh, American Alliance of Museums that actually shared with the city where they have really practical and on-the-spot guidelines of how to open with signage and different protocols. So I mm -hmm. shared that with them, and I don't know what the city will exactly implement. But I think that the vision that they have is to have the galleries open and practice all the cleaning and social distancing and not allow a certain number of people, I believe, 10 at a time at the gallery, which in daily times you rarely see. I mean, these are fairly small galleries. You don't see rather... I mean, groups larger than 10 at the same time, but opening receptions for it, for example, and Bailey Contemporary Arts, mm -hmm. we could see over 600 people. So these time tickets will be interesting to see, first of all, how many people will show up nowadays and how it will be implemented. I'm, I'm confused. How does, how is a time, what, what is the concept of a time ticket? How would that work? I'm on the same post. I got the email. I imagine it's kind of like um, I saw uh, something with um, ICA had the infinity room uh, in South Miami um, a few months ago. So you log in and you reserve like when you go to a museum, um, like a movie. So you said, I'm going to be there at 1, at 1 p.m. And then you got your ticket wow. from 1 p.m. and maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes. That's what I think. That's what they're thinking about that for the opening receptions. But again, I think it's that idea they just had today. So a lot wow. of what has happened now, it's pretty much <laughs> brainstorming via email and in Zoom staff meetings. So I don't know if it's going to happen, but um, <laughs> but that's the latest. That's the latest. That's is you know these life that we're living lately. It's a lot of creative solutions and finding what will be the safest. Jeez. It kind of, yes. it kind of goes against a little bit the, I don't know, the concept of, or, or why going to a gallery space 
is important in the first place. It's like you're walking around, you meet the artist, you, it's a meeting, it's a meeting, meeting space for people that you maybe haven't run into or various other colleagues or whatever. And it's like you're basically putting a ticket or like a time, the the concept of a time ticket would be like speed dating. Like you could, (laughs) you could only do it for 20 minutes. So it's like you, whatever conversation that you want to have to think to have, you need to run around and look at that work real fast. And then I don't know, have conversations about it. And it's, that's we, it's weird. That's a, that, that, that is a, it's like, get out, get out, get out. It times up <laughs> next. Yeah, it becomes like a doctor's visit, I guess. Oh, that's so strange. Um, and it doesn't it, and it does change the the way you would look at art. And the thing is that for, for me, the exhibitions receptions usually is when I meet a lot of artists that I have followed. Sometimes I I set up meetings at, at, at the openings because I'm there for four hours yep. and I'm there for talking. So now it's more like a scheduled thing. Jeez, that doesn't that sounds that sounds like it needs to be it definitely needs to be worked out. Um, I don't sure. I don't know sure I do change. not I don't know if that's it doesn't make any sense. Um, but I don't know. Wow. Um, I think it will invite people to possibly go not at an opening, go yeah. on their own, and now instead of the two months, they will have the three months to visit. So you just just come and spend an hour and look at the work and experience the work how it's supposed to be in the space yeah i mean i the aspect of it of being able to go into an empty gallery space outside of the opening and the closing reception so you actually go in there by yourself and look was never much of an issue anyway i just kind of worry like i don't know so much of i guess the last time that i went there and it's sort of how I would imagine a lot of the way that art is being kind of thought about in terms of these nonprofit spaces, like revitalizing like downtown downtowns, like Pompano beach or whatever. And this is all over the place. A friend of mine, um, mm-hmm. a friend of mine, uh, has a gallery space in a town called or town Lockhart and Lockhart basically is like a, a kind of a small West or central Texas town outside of Austin, where as people have like left Austin, because rent's too high, you know, they're looking for, I guess, more affordable property values, that sort of thing. They're going out and finding little towns like Lockhart. And he basically has a, he has a gallery space that he opens up exhibitions and runs it and does things, community programming, that sort of thing. You know, a lot of it is geared around that where, you know, you have the opening, but then the opening is coordinated with like somebody who's selling goods or food trucks or whatever else that basically turns the town into a vibrant opening space where it kind of generates it. And then this type of thing is you're kind of going, it's like you're, you're ultimately going, you you're forced to go against like what you were setting up in the first place that was going to expand and make vibrant the mission of what all these kind of small organizations were kind of, I guess, um, surrounding this community to help pump it up, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the thing is that, for instance, like, like you mentioned, I mean, the openings of Bailey Contemporary Arts, they're paired with an event that it seems, I mean, it's the same organization, the city organized it, and it's called Old Town and Tap. Mm-hmm. So there's an artist market that is actually curated, the, curated the, the artists are selected. There's a live uh, band, mm-hmm. there's also a DJ, there's a beer garden, so it's... I mean, to the event, we see approximately 2,000 to 3,000 people uh, on a good night. So mm-hmm. 
you know, I don't know when that event will return. And uh, yeah, it's different. But I see all this as temporary. Um, I mean, I don't see it's going to last more than two years. I'm hopeful. I mean, I certainly don't think it's going to be a two month thing. No. But um, I think we just need to do our part and, you know, creatively see what we can adapt and continue with those practices in the future. I love how open the virtual and online tools have been really explored. So continue with that to reach audiences that are far from the local ones Yeah, and then reinforce our programming, see what we can uh, recover, what we can improve as we move on thinking of the future ahead past this madness. Yeah. And it, I don't know. I, I, I feel hopeful about that because I think that we, you know, it, when when changes happen, like change is gradual until it's not gradual. So <laughs> it's like this experience right now. These are things that we have always dealt with as a civilization anyway. You know, like, you know, we're lucky enough to not have a pandemic in our lifetime until up until this point, you know, right. um, you know, I mean, 100 years like in the 19th century, you know, you had yellow fever where people would leave, have to leave cities in the summertime, like affluent people, you know, would leave cities in the summertime to not get it. So they, if they got it, it would pr- pretty much mean that they were going to die, you know? Oh. And, you know, we've been lucky enough to dodge those missed or bad opportunities, bad opportunities or bad situations until this point. And this is sort of like a wake up call of like what to do. I don't know the the online aspects I'm really excited by. Um, I think that there's a insane opportunity to learn and learn more and also expand, expand like reach, you know, like where you have this physical space that can only fit so many people where the online experience can be in, in a brought into the mix with it that kind of expands your message to the rest of the world. And then what do you like if you're building that audience, then what, type of programming can can you do that ends up generating you know ideas or things back to that local community that um is a, so it ends up having the opportunity to take that little main street of businesses or whatever else and expand it outward um yeah and yeah, i don't know makes, yeah that's that's right i mean i have it's very interesting because, um, as you know, I mean, many years, about seven years ago, I was working in Houston, an organization, and um, talking about the physical space versus the virtual space. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we were very successful, successful was at maximizing the space and the number of classes that we had in this space. Mm-hmm. And we started really looking into expanding to online learning mm-hmm. and talking about the nonprofit world, uh, we got... Uh, momentum up to a point kind of up, up until we reached the board and that didn't happen but I was talking with some colleagues still in Houston and I said can you imagine had these process had been put in place you know six years ago you know the the economic um, pain that would they the organization made have suffered well, maybe would have been less because they will have already an online platform that was already reaching out audiences, learning photography from from all over, you know. So mm-hmm. sometimes in nonprofits, it's good also to have a vision and listen to people with vision because I think I've been I've been looking at the the opportunities of reaching out mm-hmm. in virtual space for for years. Yeah, totally. I also think that it actually brings the economics of it, where you know, the kind of like if you're 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 relying on if you're relying on educators to provide services, 
that it isn't so much where you're having to force them go into a physical environment, pay for things, that sort of thing. You know, if you're ending up like working at it from here, it ends up like an educator can do they can work for multiple clients at the same time. Mm -hmm. Like what I was what I've been I'm teaching at a college right now and they're going we're going at like a crazy pace. And it's the same thing with other faculty that I know, you know, they're going at a crazy pace at this point, trying to get everything going online, you know, and some have apprehensions about it. Some are open to it and you know there's a variety of apprehensions about a changing space like you know you know basically you know you could have like luddite syndrome a little bit of being fearful of technological change but really the way that it makes it better is there's a there's a because we're so separate there's a kind of a connection to make things more human as we're kind of moving through into this space because like a dehumanized experience in this space is going to be a failure where you end up using these tools to create kind of a more and more human encounters. And at that point, it's like, you know, if I'm online certified to teach at a college, then that transfers to any other institution that I can give time to to teach. So provided Internet's good, computer's good, all that, <laughs> like you basically could set up a lot of different kind of online experiences, class platforms, whatever else, trying things out. And I think that th that would be beneficial because it would open up a lot of different workshops or things that you could end up doing. You know, it doesn't have to fit within like the mold of something that was had a huge capital investment for an organization to try out. Because the thing that I've noticed in teaching technology is ideas are hot and then they change and then they fall up, they go up and down and they get class cl like classes will be popular and then they won't be popular. So then it gives some flexibility to everybody to figure out what they, what they can do. I mean, what you're saying with, with education, even in the museum, Phil, I was just reading an article, I think it was in New York times that there is a San Francisco art museum. They decided to keep their museum education on staff uh, compared to MoMA or the Museum of Contemporary Art in, in Los Angeles, where they had to lay, or well, I don't know if they had, but they laid off a lot of their museum education mm -hmm. um, staff. And pretty much even in, in my um, organization in Pompano, there is a demand because their kids are in, in, in the, at home. Uh, teachers and parents are really desperate for yeah. cultural content. And so they're reaching out to museums or cultural organizations, asking them, do you have a virtual tour? And after that virtual tour is someone who can teach some arts or crafts that relate to the exhibition. So mm -hmm. there's the need and there's the vision. So it was great to read that a large museum that is actually close in renovation. They are um, serving their community and they're, they're preparing the educational materials for the upcoming exhibitions when they open. Yeah, definitely. So is there. Yeah, it's all there. I mean, I, I think that the, the variety of it needs to kind of rise up. I I had an experience where I was teaching um, tech academy classes the summer before uh, this one. And it kind of opened my eyes in terms of how this technology could be used. And a lot of it was geared towards like, you know, game game streaming and things like that, like live live streaming platforming and stuff like that. And there is a there's a there's a value for this stuff. I mean, there's a value for it in in taking it away from the standardized formats that you know that it was originally marketed for. So you think of like Twitch or 
live streaming in general, you know, it was geared towards like gamer culture and stuff. But, you know, I'm down with the technology, but I'm not down with gamer stuff <laughs> at all. I don't care. <laughs> but I would. I would, I would know I would, until you told me. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I would, you know, it. On one level, it's cool. I'm I'm down with it. But on another level, I wonder if it's things like this right now where you're having to you end up having to communicate with like added soft skills. You know, you end up having to like, you know, be more personable and, you know, outward outward. And, you know, I'm I'm a little bit more introspective in physical space and don't I'm not I'm not an extra. I'm, I'm a balanced person. I can be an extrovert if I need to be an extra extrovert. But it's not my natural state. My natural state's somewhere in the middle. But with this, it, you feel like whenever you're on, you have to perform. And so you end up having kind of a performance aspect with this stuff a little bit. Um, that's kind of facilitating and, you know, keeping the community together and generating interest, keeping interest and all of that. But yeah, it's, it's, it, it's a, it is it is exhausting. Like when you're on Zoom meetings, like. Yeah, if you have three in a day that are an hour apiece, you're talking for three hours or dealing with being in front of this little box for three hours and being on, you know, and it's it's a little tough. But yeah, I've been I've been in some Zoom meetings where people are actually comfortable and the camera is off. And it's like, well, we're all here in this space, we're all sharing our ideas, but uh, you know, I don't want to imagine what people's uh, spaces <laughs> are. And it's okay. We're comfortable with actually having our cameras off. So it, it takes some of the stress away of, yeah. on top of having your, you know, what you're bringing to the meeting. Your presentation has to be on top of, on top of everything where you have kids climbing on your back, you know, or doing homeschool right next to you. So I appreciate in that specific organization that I can come <laughs> Pretty much, they don't know how I come, but I come with my ideas and my voice and that's it. Well, it's good because like I've I've been talking to a few people doing these and everybody does seem feel hopeful. Like I think at the beginning of this, people were like, oh, God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? How is this going to work out? But it and, it and it ranges from, you know, teachers to small business people, like small business people specifically that have skin in the game and, you know, you know, of any, any disruption whatsoever to income or clients or whatever means the end of their company, they can't pay their rent and all that stuff. Like you're basically on a tightrope walking in between two mountains and all of a sudden, like somebody's got like a pair of scissors on the rope type of thing. Right. <clears throat> the desperation aspect of it. But it sounds like, it sounds like people are working forward with their best solutions and embracing this creatively, which sounds amazing. It sounds very hopeful. Right. No, and I do get it. Like, I don't know, the, the screen thing is nuts because it's like if you're if you're if you're taking on the service. So on my end of it, it's like I have to have my screen on all the time. Okay. <laughs> it, as, a te- as a teacher, you have to have your screen on all oh, the time. Oh, right. Yes, of course. And, yeah. And then it's like everybody else's screen's black. So you just feel like you're staring at a bunch of black screens and a mirror of yourself. And you're like, OK, how's it going? It's like you got to act like you got to be you got to act like a like a happy go lucky for lack of a better word. I'm self-deprecating here, but a happy go lucky idiot. Then I was like, hey, guys, how's it going? And then eventually you're going to win people over. You're going to break that ice where they do share their screen 
And then oh, that's that cool. So like over the course of a semester, like this summer, it's like everything's starting out with like black screens. <laughs> and then every week it'll be like one new screen, one new screen, one new screen. And eventually everybody's screen will be on and it'll be great. But yeah, that's it's, great. it's so strange. I think it has to do with the level of comfort. Like in, in my case, it's a bunch of business people and we're comfortable now with like, hey, I'm here. You know, I'm here. You don't see me. And in your case, it's like, hey, I'm comfortable with you seeing me how I am. So, well, it is uh, it's good. This is a hard environment because like you, you, you mm-hmm. want to you go to a public space. Like if you, you imagine like going going out, you're preparing to go out. So it's like if you're going you're going to work, you're preparing to go to work and you got your you got your work attire on and you're and you're together. Students the same way, you know, they're driving to class or taking the bus to class or whatever. <clears throat> you know, and when you are asking them to have their screen on in their private space where, you know, it's like you got a ni- you got a nice background. My background's a little messy, but it's a nice background. Um, you know, but if you're dealing with people that are like socioeconomically not in good backgrounds, you know, then what do you do? You know, so it's like then you're asking for that screen to be turned on at all times so they can be monitored. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't add to any of the comfort factor of it. You know, and and they're losing. You have um, like in my case, is a loss of control. I don't know. I have a dog. I have two little kids. Yeah. So they can come in diapers. <laughs> I mean, they, there's things that I don't control. I don't know what they're going to do. So um, that's why I'm conscious. Like people don't need to see the madness of the kids fighting with the dog, and you know, a lot of back. Uh, Stories like the the guy in CNN famous video when the kid shows up. I mean that's cute, but um, you never know. He had no yeah. control well, of it at the time. I had a, I had something that happened with a class that I had recorded. So like I can you know I can basically they use Zoom because it's it meets FERPA guidelines. So it ends up you know giving consent or so it, it'll basically say this call is being recorded or whatever and make everybody aware of the fact that they're being recorded. So like it's, it's legally the correct software to ultimately use. And I hit record. And the problem is you can't hit, like once you hit unrecord, you can't record again, I think. And I get locked in when I'm working. So I have my headphones on, I'm listening to myself in the microphone or whatever. And I'm not paying attention to anything other than what I have to do and other students or whatever. And I was doing a class and had it recording. So it goes through the college's system and then it brings like an, a, a, a video that then ends up having captioning or whatever. And then I can basically upload it to however I need to upload it. And I guess the point is I was working and then afterwards, Jenny Lynn, when I got off and I was just kind of like, okay, I'm ready. I'm done. All that. She was like, did you know Marco ran across your screen naked after getting out of the shower? And I was like, no. And because like that's his room like right there. And he basically (laughs) comes in and out and like he's like a little um, he's like a fly. He just kind of comes in and comes out. But apparently he like just ran out out of the shower like and was just like (laughs) looking for clothes or just doing what a five year old does. Right. And I was like, I don't know if that happened, but you know what? I don't, I don't really give a fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's in the past. It already happened. (laughs) I can't do anything about that, but yeah. So yeah, Yeah. I I, I totally get why you need to have, 
mute on and all that stuff. And it's like, well, you, and, and sometimes I do show up. I mean, it's, it depends. I think, I think this is the point. I think in the, it depends on the level of control. If I know there's another, another adult in the house who can help me, you know, tame the kids like right now, uh, I'm okay. Uh, but um, when I have these impromptu meetings, uh, meetings at work, then camera will go off and I may stay mute until it's my time to speak just to save people from whatever <laughs> they had to hear. So uh, one question I have about, I guess, um, I don't know, your like the planning that your organizations are ultimately having to do with like opening back up correctly as this is kind of developing. Do you feel like you have um, good examples to follow or is it the type of thing that you guys are kind of just like working by yourself without like um, like like clarity from the outside world or outside institutions? So, you know, like think of like the state state government or the national government, like not giving like concise information about how to do this. And then you're basically just having to figure out like what's best for you, basically, or your organization. Like how yeah. how is that I mean, working out? For us, it's a mix um, because... I mean, there's no one, I think that I personally try to look at what Germany is doing, what Italy is doing, because there's a few weeks ahead, but the governments are also very different. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's not a specific organization that we can say, hey, this museum or this gallery has the solution. So there are different models that I'm looking at. And that's what I was so happy to see the article from the AAM, because I know that the reach it reached everybody. All museums are looking at those guidelines of suggestions. On the other hand, we are part of government. This is um, the, the three galleries are managed by the Cultural Affairs Department of the city of Pompano Beach. So when the city will say that the businesses are open and whenever they tell us that we're open, we still need to follow their guidelines and whatever they say we need to follow we will have to to mm -hmm. attain. So, I mean, not not that anybody will suggest that people be in any danger or, or anything, yeah. but I think it's going to be a mix of suggestions from the government that we in the end are and guidelines that we see that are successful for other um, institutions similar to us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so so much to think. It's, it's, it's so much to think about and it's like you still, like you have no clue what the future looks like. You still don't. No, I, you have absolutely. none. You have none at all. Like no. Like my, a friend of mine, a friend of mine who's teaching in China. Um, you know, I have some photographs of what he is kind of starting to see, and that's the future. Like that's the future. Like that's the future of like how it's going to handle. You know, like you're going to. I don't know. He was talking about how um, they can go out in their in their town. They can go out and you know, go to the bar or whatever and hang out and have greetings and you know drinks out or whatever mm -hmm. <clears throat> and it's a type of thing that it'll be like all of a sudden you'll be out and then you're quarantined the next day because you'll end up having a text message that say the place that you were at last night the part like two people were sick two employees were sick wow. so stay home and yeah. like you'll Im immediately have to be like locked at home at after that point and there's no you know, there, there are facial recognition softwares that are being developed to be able to monitor people and kind of collect data that is going to 
map where you are and it's an inevitability, you know, it's, 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 it's like an, it's a necessity. It's like, we've gotten, we've turned into, um, science fiction, like really fast, you know, like, <laughs> really fast. like my, yeah. like minority report. Um, there was an article that I was reading the other day. Um, I forget the William Gibson novel, but he was talking about, um, you know, like the character in the, the character in the book, um, was wearing a hideous Hawaiian shirt, I think. And then that would like the, the patterns of the terrible shirt that he was wearing, like, like broke facial, re- the facial recognition software. So he was able to like, I don't know, infiltrate. Bypass? Huh? <laughs> Bypass the artificial intelligence. Yeah. And the funny thing is there was, a, mm-hmm. I, there was an article, I think in motherboard that was talking about that, that actually works. <laughs> so like a, think- a, a bad Hawaiian shirt, or a handmade mask with a lot of like op art patterns on it is going to not allow computers to see who you are type of thing. I think that's brilliant. It's kind of cool. <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah, I think I saw a similar article recently. Yeah, it's a t-shirt with a very colorful whatever on the on the top, but they said that it's still not yet uh, going to be, you know, available <laughs> for the public because they're still studying, but. Um, it's interesting, and what you were saying earlier about China and things having to open and close, um, that was mentioned in the um, in the AAM article that says, you know, be prepared because you may open, but any minute you will have to close. And yeah. that was part of the reasoning for me to suggest the extension to three months now on the exhibitions because artists and myself, we put so much work into putting these exhibitions together and well slowing down two months is better than three (laughs) well slowing down like having artists slow down and having organizations slow down where they're not having to like kind of fill everything up for even like watered down exhibitions just for content i think that that's sort of the problem with digital culture in general is that there's no consideration to the fact that like the human mind has to kind of conceptualize things and allow things to kind of ruminate to, you know, edit a little bit rather than, you know, because we can, I don't know, it's like 30 years ago with film versus digital photography today, like you can take thousands of photographs now, you know, and just immediately have them up somewhere. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily make the images good. And it certainly doesn't necessarily make that because you can just turn out whatever, you know, corporate design work or whatever else, you know, just because you could make it fast doesn't necessarily mean that it's any good and being able to take some time and allow things to kind of space out a little bit more should be thought about, you know, I mean, it's kind of, that's, that's one thing that I kind of see with this that could have the ability to work. But if we, I don't know if we try to like push all of this stuff all at once, like kind of like Netflix or something, you know, you have a million choices, a million different choices of like whatever movie to watch or whatever, then does that just create a bunch of noise that nobody, people are going to get fatigued with and not look at any of it. So it's like slowing down less work, you know, um, giving good user experience with the content is going to be really important with this model. Yeah. And I mean, what you're saying, that makes sense. I mean, the first week that we were in this uh, lockdown, with my kids here and all these museums and the, the zoo offering programming and there was so much competition and I was like, okay, yeah. I, I had this schedule, like at two we're watching the hypo and then at three we're drawing with this artist going live and I had this crazy yeah. schedule and then I got exhausted and my kids were like, 
happy just sitting and reading a book. So what you're saying about the quality of the content is very important because now there's so much more out there. The competition is, is crazy, but if someone is providing content that is of quality on good content that may be relevant for other people, but that you see that they took the time to really simmer it and think it through, yeah. you're going to see more people listen to it or viewing that, you know, participating more. So I'm very selective now. I get invitations on Facebook of things that are happening. It's like, no, no, but this may be interesting. Um, yeah, being, being selective. So it, it's part of what you're saying. I mean, so much is happening, but we need to really sit down, slow down and see what programming makes sense to the better good and who is not doing what we're doing. I was, I was going to propose to the city uh, uh, some workshops online and then I realized there's a lot of museums already doing mm-hmm. this specific thing. So I don't want to compete with someone who maybe has also be- better video quality and editing maybe let's help promote them let's cross promote yeah um cross promotion cross cross promotion sounds like a fabulous idea i think about like you know a a good example of this in an an analog sense would be if you ever went to like marfa texas um you know where you basically you have shops and restaurants and things but then you might not necessarily have the volume of people during like a low tour season versus a high tour season and the restaurants coordinate where, you know, there's only like a handful of those restaurants open on Monday and then a handful of those restaurants open on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, so on, where right. they all have they all have a chance at the pie rather than all being opened all at once and basically competing against a deflated, you know, customer base where if they are all fighting tooth and nail over the same things without coordinating, they're all going to go out of business, whereas if they like if you end up having a bunch of nonprofit arts organizations cross promoting, then you can kind of share the workload a little bit. And like, I don't know, it's like one does one, one does one piece of media, the other does another piece of media, and then it gets all pocketed together. I don't know. That sounds like a really great idea. That's great. <laughs> I, I've, been, I've been to Marfa, but I didn't know about the restaurant model. I mean, it makes complete sense. Yeah. And I didn't, and when we went, we went like 10 years ago and it was, and it was probably, probably maybe, maybe we went during low period or whatever. And what happened was we were walking around town and it was like, why do we keep on seeing the same people at every place? (laughs) So you'll like, you'll notice the same person as your people watching and you're and it's like, Oh, that's what's going on. Okay. That makes all the sense in the world. That's how that works. Yeah. Hey, that, that whole town has an incredible model for, for existing. Yeah. Marvelous. Yeah. I mean, it, there's parts of it that are weird. Like you ended up having like rancher culture. So it's completely different from the real West Texas economy versus this little, you know, Donald Judd Disneyland thing that they got going on. Um, right. But I don't know. That That's that, that's a that's. That's a that's a good thing. <laughs> no, it is. Yeah, that's a, that's we a good went, thing to go a, see. There was a lot of people from New York, like interns. So I was surprised to see a lot of um, kids uh, in, making internships in all these different arts organizations. But most of them were from, were from from New York, so it was like an island. Yeah, <laughs> and it was the dynamics were really interesting. Do you feel hopeful for cultural institutions moving forward, or do you feel like it's a greater challenge moving forward or is it just always a challenge? 
I think it's a different, it's a new challenge. But I mean, art institutions always have the challenges, especially with funding. And, but, you know, as you see the market, it actually was hit, but it's not hit that bad. Um, I was in New York when the 2008 hit and the, the museum I was working in lost funding, like big, big banks. Uh, but the museum is still there. So I'm very hopeful. I'm very hopeful because to me, art is essential in the sense of showing our humanity you know, um, I mean, so people will argue that art uh, is essential, essential, but I'm married to someone who works in the medical field in for survival. Um, if, if, if I'm dying, I don't think a painting will save me from dying, but it will, an artistic experience will save me from mental anxiety. I mean, it, it is what makes us human. Mm-hmm. in a way and it really puts the human aspect of it so once we surpass the essentiality of medical field art comes behind it cultural organizations i mean and we see that people are watching more movies they're reading more books virtual tours and visit visitations to museums artistic experience has exploded mm-hmm. so i'm hopeful i i think that we just need to be aware of the people who have visions and we're right now living a challenging time where people are coming with different solutions. But let's see what ideas come up 10 years from now. You know, let's see what comes up and let's embrace those ideas. So, no, I'm extremely, I'm extremely hopeful because as long as there's artists and as long as there is something happening, there will be someone with an opinion and they will either write a poem, write a book, do a painting, do a video, a performance. And institutions being, you know, museums established or um, uh, impromptu organizations uh, they will be there to support these artists to to show their work so no I'm extremely hopeful I just I just think we just need to embrace and I like to say let's let's surf it let's get on this board and you know surf the waves of challenges and see you at the end (laughs) um how do you feel um challenges that artists are facing now in terms of, I don't know, showing and exhibiting work, um, trying to sell work in this space. Um, are you experiencing that they're having more challenges? Yeah. I mean, and you see, I mean, that challenge directly to the artists, I've seen it and I've seen organizations that are formed by artists where they are posting grants in different places where they're trying to share amongst artists different resources where they can apply for funding. In terms of sales, uh, yes, I mean, I think galleries are the ones that are the first hit, like the ones that that are, you know, commercial galleries. Um, I know that many of them are uh, closing and that directly impacts uh, the galleries and the sales. Um, on my end, we try to pay the artist um, a fee. Um, I'm very aware there's this organization called Wage. I forgot exactly what the letters entail for, but they're, they have all this scaling, um, sliding scale where depending on the budget of, of, of an organization, they suggest how much the uh, artist should be paid for an exhibition or a talk and, and, and whatnot. So I think that supporting that type of efforts, it's important to keep the creative economy uh, moving forward. But yes, at this moment, especially like right now, the three galleries that I manage, they're, they're closed. 
So there's no um, sales happening. Um, and so I, I seen that some alternative spaces, they have uh, revamped their websites to have a carts and auctions now really moving on, online so that, you know, there's, there's a sale aspect of it. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I wish someone had the answer, but it's just we're, we're all learning on this. And, and this is the incredible part of it. Like, this is not a local problem. I mean, it's global. Yeah, We're all on this and we're all trying to solve and looking at each other for ideas and solutions. Yeah, what's different about this, you know, from an economic sense, and I don't think I've ever seen it in my life, like coming from Houston, you know, it's like usually when when oil is cheap, the rest of the country is benefiting, but then Houston is an actual absolute terrible economy where there is no fundraising that can happen, you know, because profits aren't being made in the oil industry. But this is an instance right now where it's like, Oh yeah, oil's cheap. So then I can go to Disney and Disney, like I can like Disney's (laughs) booming, but this is the first instance where like real estate, real estate's probably horrible. Like the entertainment industry is horrible. Like the creative industry, like everything, like production of like movies and films, television shows, you know, media production is shut down completely. You know, like all the way down to like, you know, they they did an, they did a MMA, um, like a UFC uh, pay per view where nobody was in the stands, and it was basically just the fighters fighting. And it was, and I never, I didn't see it, but it just seemed like the weirdest kind of concept of like everything that you're going to see, if it's like production of things like that, it's going to be like no audience, you know? So there's no performative aspect. It's completely cut off. It's like on a sound stage, you know? <laughs> and so it's like, that's dead. Oil's not there. Entertainment's not there. Hospitality's not there. Real estate's not there. The arts aren't there. It's like the first instance where everything just shut down at the exact same time. And I, yeah, it's like, how do you, how do you move forward from that? You know, I feel like the only thing that's happening at this point is the people that are lucky enough to have to rush to digital platforming, you know, like whatever content, whatever sales, whatever can happen, happens on the online platform, you know, and that's basically what's moving forward at this point. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, digital right now is what is keeping us connected. It's keeping us. Yeah. Connected. I mean, there's no other word. Yeah, I know. But it's it's powerful. At the at the other hand, it's like us having a conversation right now, and being able to allow other people to listen to it at a quality that is can be listened to. It's a type, Absolutely. you know, it's a type of thing that you know if you don't you don't if you, you during normal normal time you wouldn't have time to do this, but then this ends up opening up whole other whole other opportunities, you know, and you know, and you know, you don't even know. I don't know. It's like you end up having this ability to be able to learn new things right now that are like that adaptation is happening now that I think is really I I think that that's like the most hopeful, hopeful aspect about any of this is, you know, at least you have free time at this point to try things out. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I mean, and library, I mean, people have been looking like I, I, I noticed the other day, library, you can download Rosetta Stone. So I'm polishing my French at night. Wow. And it's free, you know. So also, also I think it's opening the opportunity for people to look at 
what resources are already available. Um, like really the local library, the library is closed, but digitally they just started oh, yeah. to send the emails and say, hey, by the way, we always have Rosetta Stone. You never look at it, but yeah. now is your chance to. Yeah. And, and like that, many other um, resources. And and you see them as well. I mean, they've been, they've been posting more of the things that they, they used to have in the past and saying, well, we had this before now is your chance to really look at our archive of interviews with artists and and so on yeah i would be i would be thoroughly interested in arts organizations or art, like museums being able to archive what they have like at the like the museum of fine arts they have a tr- they have a tremendous library i've never really been able to access it because you know you can only go at certain times and it's a whole kind of ordeal to kind of start diving into things i remember when i was in college we you know, it was where we were able to go to, you know, on a field trip between Nacogdoches and Houston to basically go to the MFA and go and see the works on paper collection there and where they mm. brought things out, you know, and you were able to look at what was brought out as examples. Harry Ransom Center for Photography, like seeing their like camera lucida, uh, camera obscura collections, you know, those those types of things where so much of this is like the challenge that the challenge that we have in front of us that I find is I'm teaching a, I'm teaching a filmmaking class this summer, completely online. Yeah. It's a type of thing that it's like so much of this work, so much of the work that you're trying to, you're trying to kind of plan for is giving students the experience of knowing and evaluating things that are like corporal to their body. So like audio levels and things like that, what are, what sounds good in your microphone, you know, like what is good camera work, you know, you know, and it's so much geared towards, you know, movement of your body and knowing how to like position yourself and things like that, that, you know, I've always relied if I'm teaching those classes to be in the room with somebody and watch them and say, okay, no, you do it like this. That's really good, but you do it like this. And then you kind of share in physical space where, I don't know. I would like to see a lot more of that in the art community. You know, I would, I would like to see a little bit more of like, you know, trying to invest in scanning, you know, invest in, you know, documents that are hard to get or hard to see that you would be able to download and view, you know, and have access to. And so you can learn, you know, but like learn with the actual physical document, um, you know, that might be lost because of it being a, low production model, you know, or, or like a lack of a better way to put that would be like, um, it had a low, it had a, like a limited run, like say if it was a printed work and it only like had one issue and you know, it was a limited edition type of thing. Would you be able to have that scanned in some way that you can kind of look at at high resolution and evaluate it, you know, like that would be, that would be amazing. <clears throat> That's yeah. I mean, the the problem that you can encounter with with that sometimes is if the artists are not willing to it. Like you encounter um, copyrights and stuff like that. Um, but I mean, it's a great idea. And and actually, I mean, if you look at the Library of Congress, one of the organizations, um, there is a situation where sometimes I cannot show original artwork by artists. So I go into the Library of Congress and I'm using amazing images you know from their archival that i can download get permission and they're if they're in the open domain i'm curated exhibitions um you know from so i'm doing the opposite i'm taking from a repository of images and from there curating shows and 
bringing them to the community. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of materializing. I think I'm going backwards from what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> but but it comes it comes from that concept. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there was a there was a show. Um, I forget the name of it um, that I saw recently at OMA that they were kind of pairing Library of Congress images that were easily to easily to access and get prints mm-hmm. from. You know, you end up having, you know, um, Works Progress Administration photographers and things that you can pick up those prints for relatively cheap and then, you know, be able to frame them and put them up with artists that are making work into reference of those works. Wow, Whereas like that's the, amazing. Yeah, I know. It was like, it was pretty cool. And I think, um, you know, the, the act of curation, you know, being able, like a, why a curator is a valuable service is that they're basically putting Im- images together in those spaces, very similar to what I would say, like, you know, editing, editing like film, film or shots and things like that to tell a story, you know, with the, right. with disparate images on a wall that somebody can kind of like walk through or in space or in video or whatever, you know, like the organizing those spaces in that way, you know, around collections of ideas that people have, you know, and however you can do that, you, you do that, you know, it's, it's really valuable work. Well, it's very interesting because when I when I went to college, it was when <laughs> around 95, 96, when the Internet was becoming popular. So obviously one of the first classes I took was the concept of creating a website and hypertextuality. Mm-hmm. So how the Internet and the pages and how they talk to each other. And so that sometimes is when I look at the gallery and I have the pieces of artwork that I selected. I'm like, OK, what is the context and how do they talk to each other so it's not only the 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 paintings or the artworks that i put side by side but what is in front of them so it's the the visitors experience and how regardless of how they walk in the space what is the narrative that they're probably building and sometimes i don't nail it but (laughs) but i'm always aware of how the artwork is hang to provide content and you know a dialogue between the artworks yeah, I mean that's something where you know it's like you're, you're like the choices that you make between like what what context are you going to provide versus not provide you know so you can at least like leave some mystery to the viewer you know rather than like hitting somebody over the head with the content you know I mean it's it's um it's right. a, it's an interesting you know it is it's an it's an interesting um it's an interesting exercise to try to lead people to conclusions with images paired with other images you know it's uh it's it's a really cool thing and i think that that's the reason alone why you know physical physical space is still preferred to over everything else that we have all this other noise all this other noise i feel like should just be designed to get people to go to that physical space you know but ultimately you know what happens when you can't do that that's i'm I'm, I'm, I'm missing artwork I'm missing looking at artwork these days a lot. Me too. <laughs> the, 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 the tactile, the 3D experience, seeing it, seeing the texture. But um, yeah, I think the virtual is a great component. Um, and, uh, component and um, I'm lacking the word, but it's a good... Um, uh, I'm lacking words. But it's, it's a good part of it. It mm-hmm. complements, that's the word. It complements the experience. So yeah. if you're not able or if you're curious about an, an exhibition, you can go online, look at the images, see if it appeals. But oftentimes when you go to see the experience, then it's completely different or pretty much different. Mm-hmm. Wow. 
Yeah. It's a lot to think about right now because yeah. I, I, I hope, a hope that I have is that, um, I don't know. I, I've seen it in the last chunk of years where there is a, I don't know. I, th- I feel like Jerry Saltz actually kind of talks about it a lot where it's sort of like we're at the end of like the kind of we're maybe we're at the end of the concept of of 20th century modernism where that had this kind of where art is commodity and it's had this arc over this period of time for a very long time, you know, since the, the later part of the 19th century you know, all the way to today where we're kind of dealing with these, we're dealing with the kind of the commodification of the work and it's based on fiat. It's just whatever a bunch a group of people says it is, which is the reason why maybe arts organizations exist a little bit in the first place because they're there to kind of prop up some aspect of financial, some financial aspect, whether it be like real estate or commerce or stock trade or whatever else. And, you know, it's always been that way. Like Piero Manzoni, you know, the artist cans of shit or, you know, the artist breath, you know, in a balloon nailed to a chunk of wood, you know, (laughs) and trying to put a price tag on that stuff. You know, I just, I'm, I'm interested at this point, like what the next iteration is going to be if it's finally moving away from being directly connected to, um, holding up some, property value or being a chip for insurance or like whatever, you know, um, and that, and that part of the story for me is really fascinating too, because it's sort of, you know, the art, art and politics, art and economics end up really, you know, dovetailing perfectly together because art, art needs its connection to that world because that world is the world that like for a lot of years went to college was the educated class values it outside of their world of capital accumulation, that sort of thing, that as we're kind of using technology to educate people to be understand kind of abstract thought and why abstract thought really does matter for the human experience, you know, um, where this can be, where this can go, you know, um, I'm really down with all that. (laughs) I mean, I think that what the period that we're living in the next couple of years, we're going to see amazing artworks uh, criticizing the na- nation's response to what we're living right now. Yeah, um, artists can be extremely. I mean, and, and they have no, like we say in Spanish, pelos en la lengua. I mean, they they will, you know, the, they're critics without any fear of what's happening. So partly because they have nothing right to now. lose. Was that partly because they have nothing to lose. I mean, they, they, <laughs> they chose this, they chose like they were compelled in this. And that's the thing that yeah. artists are going to, artists are going to make work anyway. You know, it's like not, it's not a big deal regardless of, you know, Oh, there's no support, there's support, there's no support, support your local artists and whatever, you know, regardless, yeah. artists are going to try things out and, 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 and work because they're compelled to, you know, like that, you know, that's that they're they're wired that way. They've been wired that way for tens of thousands of years. That's the reason why there's cave paintings in Lascaux and stuff, you know. Right. So, no, I'm, I'm, I'm really curious. I'm excited to see what comes out. So people are doing art for art's sake and, you know, dealing with their emotions and using art as healing. But um, so I think in all the different reasons why people make art, I think that what what is going to come out from this is something extremely 
strong and I can't wait to start seeing popping up and, you know, come up with a couple of exhibitions with art after the lockdown. What, what, what is the result of that? So, uh, yeah, you asked me earlier if I'm hopeful and I think, I mean, yeah, totally. Will, will we like it? Is it going to be aesthetically pleasant? We don't know, most likely not, but we need to see the humanity of it. Yeah. And yeah, art is the answer. Yeah, art is the answer to see people's humanity in the space that they're existing in because that's all we really have at this point. We don't have a future projection of the world. We don't we don't have we don't have we don't have, po- we don't have pol- like a political discourse for what a future is going to look like at this point right now. We just have people expressing their moment in time and that's valuable enough. Um, with that being said, I really do appreciate that you took the time to do this interview. Um, this has been fun. Yeah, I know it's fun. And I'll tell (laughs) you, it would be really fun to listen to like periodically, you know, um, kind of checking in and seeing how things are going and how things are kind of adapting and moving forward. Because I really do think that, you know, an idea that I have with this is to be able to allow like listeners to listen in, in segments of time over a topic like art is one for me that I'm interested in for obvious reasons. Um, but it's uh, how people are moving forward in all of this and how they're adapting and moving forward in it. Um, That's great. So that, great. So, so that they, so, so that they have that basically that, that they haven't, they haven't, they have an option or they have ideas. Maybe there, maybe other not, maybe not other nonprofits might happen to listen to this or, you know, other people that are, you know, wanting to know what like Bailey Contemporary or or small arts organizations or galleries or other curators are up to from the standpoint of they're trying to exist in this space. And it's not how do you make how do you make artistic physical space happen? You know, like it's the, it's a democratic space and that's why it needs to be protected. So thank you so much. Absolutely. You're welcome. Thank you all for listening to Temple Footnotes. You probably listen to this podcast through one of these platforms. Uh, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Deezer, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Live through Alexa, and Podchaser. You can also stream through your phone on popular podcasting apps like Overcast, PocketCast, Castro, and CastBox. If you want to join me for an episode, the virtual door is open. Uh, just contact me by email at hello at tempormag.com or DM me on Instagram. You can find me at Studio Wack and at Tempor Mag. Thank you all for listening. <laughs>